nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Good afternoon. The time is 1 p.m. on Sunday, the 12th of June, and you're tuned in to the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse, on Teachers Talk Radio. In today's show, we're taking a break from pastoral CPD and we'll instead be zooming in on the impact of race and gender on people's professional experiences in schools. I'll be joined by Cameron Mills to discuss what it's been like for him as a black male teacher and leader in primary schools. Live from London, this is the Sunday Lunch with Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash TT Radio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Boom. And we're back with another installment of the Sunday Lunch Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for those that are already in the studio. Some familiar names in there. Cameron, I see you. Dale, I see you. Um, been in there definitely. Dale, I know I've known from a number of shows, one of our average listeners. Anyone that's listening back on Catch Up, thank you very much. This is the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse, on Teachers Talk Radio. If this is your first time listening to Teachers Talk Radio, where have you been? Where have you been? We've been around for donkeys years nowhere near donkey's years we've been around for how many years now two years essentially um i've done about a year and a half i'd say year and a bit um but this is teacher talk radio i usually do on a sunday this is my slot but i normally have a pastoral focus if you've never listened before i usually have a pastoral focus i've developed into pastoral focus just because it's it's the thing that i'm passionate about but today as i said in the intro we're going to eventually take a break from the pastoral world and we're going to talk about the impact of race and gender more specifically, I'll be joined uh, by Cameron, who's already in the chat, but he'll be joining a little bit later on um, to talk about his own experience as being a black male teacher and leader in primary schools. And I was thinking, when I was thinking about this show, do you know what? I've never, I feel like in all my shows, I don't think I've talked about the impact of, of race and gender on my own professional experience. And if in the background, you can hear a little two-year-old wailing, well, that is my little two-year-old wailing. He's uh, off to bed. Um, but if you can't hear him, then you've probably got no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> but yeah, as I was saying, so we're going to eventually talk about race and gender. And I think this is a conversation that needs to be had. And I think it's a conversation where people should ask questions and, and be willing to listen because it's something that you can't always relate to. Yeah, like when you when I hear um, women talking about their experience of being a woman in the workplace, I just need to be a, an ally in terms of how I listen and I give them space. And I ask questions and I engage. I can't understand, I might always be able to understand or empathize because it's a unique experience to them based on their sex or their gender. Um, but yeah, it's the same thing with race. So I think it'll be, it's a worthwhile conversation to have. I'm glad that we're going to be able to have this conversation later on in the show. But as always, I like to run through whatever I've been talking about on Twitter since the last time I came on these airwaves. And I scrolled back in time through my kind of Twitter feed and I forgot about Britain Talent, that little singer. I say little singer, that's very patronizing. That singer that was a teacher. Um, I'll give you two points, positive points, if you can type in the chat what this singer's name was. This is a test of whether you're even sad enough to watch Britain's Got Talent still as an adult, <laughs> or whether you actually watch it. That was a singer. Um, very, very impressive, actually. Very, very impressive. And 
I think he was a uh, he was he had the chance of winning. I think he came third. Um, no one's entered a name in the chat. His name was Tom Ball. Either way, he was on Britain's Got Talent, and it always had me thinking: one day, do I just go on this Britain's Got Talent thing and just try my hand at what you say? Well, I've got a number of talents. My main one, it would be singing if I were to go on there. It would be actually be singing. Um, but I could also, I'm not going to do it now, he says. I can also um, flick my cheek in tune with music. <laughs> I'm talking about the cheek that's on my face, just so you're aware. I can also flick my cheek in tune with music. Not like the most pitch perfect tune, but I can do that. I did that very recently when I was hanging with some colleagues. And they were like, oh, take it on, Britain's Got Talent. And I was laughing, but thought, hmm, if you give me a mic and you give me an unfiltered and a free license to wherever I want. Maybe I will just flick my face cheek in, in, in tune with music. Maybe I'll save it for later in the show when people come in and I'm wondering what the hell is going on. Let's be me there tapping away. Tapping, tapping, tapping away. Cool. That was one thing I was talking about. The next thing I talked about, which was on, I think it was on the 8th, and this was off the back of something that happened in my own school. So in my role, I'm the DSL. So I deal with all the, well, the main high-profile safeguarding issues. And I tweeted... I tweeted that only in the world of safeguarding and pastoral can you get an email before school is even, before you've even got to school, you get an email from a parent. And as soon as that email drops in your inbox, you know instantly that the rest of your day is going to be a write-off. And that's exactly what happened to me earlier this week. I got, I can't go into any detail about it, confidentiality, all that good stuff. Um, but essentially I received an email at about 6.30 in the morning. And I looked at it as I was getting ready. Why did I look at it? Who knows? I get emails through my phone. Why do I get emails through my phone? Because if I didn't, I think I'd be paranoid about what's going on. But that's mainly because of my role, the nature of my role. Albert, I see you. Welcome. Thanks for joining. We're not into the, the we're not into the, the gritty crux of it yet because all you latecomers means I'm going to delay the chat always. But I got an email, yeah, about 6.30 in the morning from a parent. I opened it and just my head just sunk. And I thought, well, all those things that I wanted to get done today, um, are not going to happen because I know how this day is going to go. And I feel like that is a very unique experience for pastoral and or safeguarding staff. If you disagree with me, then let me know. But I think if you are a head of department or a curriculum lead or whatever else, I don't think you can get an email of that. I don't think you can get an email at that hour from a parent that will make you think, now I've got a whole bunch of work that I'm going to have to do today and everything else is going to have to fall by the wayside because it's going to take priority. I feel like that's a unique experience for safeguarding and or pastoral and it happened to me it happened to me man and the whole day was mad 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 the whole day was mad it was just talking to kids going back talking to parents talking to kids talking to services talking to kids talking to parents triangulation between everyone crazy when's the last time you had a day like that um i thought oh, i'm gonna put albert on the spot here i can't remember what albert's role is albert you're you're a year lead now aren't you i feel like you're an assistant year lead or a year lead remind me albert I feel like you're an assistant year lead or year lead. I can't remember. If I'm wrong, then I've just completely forgotten your, your professional profile. Um, but I don't know when the last time that happened to you. I know a couple of people commented on it, essentially saying, yes, it's, it's the truth. It's facts, as they say. Um, facts, facts, facts. What have you guys been up to, people in the room? Any highlights for you? Let's think positively. Any highlights of the last week? When my colleagues go to the, to the pub after work, wherever else, they always ask each other what the highlights in my role, it's, it's, hard, it's hard sometimes to think about the highlights because most of my highlights are, yeah, well, I prevented something worse from happening um, in my highlights. Or, yeah, I guess it's just nature of the role. All-consuming. What else have I been talking about on the, on the social? Any Love Island fans in the room? Is it just me? 
Am I, I'm like I'm I'm unashamedly a thirty year old person that just watches Love Island. For what reason? I don't really know. Do I enjoy it? I don't think so. It's just a bit of kind of like mind numbing um, thing on TV that I just kind of haven't. I just watch just out of habit. I think I've watched every single series. When I say I think, I know for certain, and I've got no shame. Come for me. I've got no shame whatsoever. Is it good? No. Is it worth? The loss of sleep? No, not in the slightest. Why do I watch it then? I can't give you an answer. Actually, I genuinely can't give you an answer. Anyone that watches Love Island unashamedly, please join me because maybe it's just me. I'm going to feel like I'm on my own on the on the Love Island front. Um, so yeah, I've done a lot of tweets about Love Island recently. Oh mate, then the next thing I don't know how many of you guys, you people drive, but someone did tweet and I was, I was tweeting, I was thinking about it. Driving tired is what someone said that driving tired is worse than driving under the influence of alcohol tell me if you agree or disagree driving tired is worse in terms of actually not legally worse but worse in terms of your ability to actually handle the vehicle is worse than um what was i gonna say worse than being under the influence agree or disagree i'll say it one more time for the people that have just joined do you agree or disagree that driving tired is actually worse for you than driving under the influence. And if you disagree, I'm not saying you're saying, yeah, 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 we should, we should, um, we should drive under the influence. I'm not saying that, obviously. But I know that when you drive tired, it is a problem. And you it needs to be avoided, or it needs to be avoided at all costs. Um, needs to be avoided at all costs. Oh, Albert just come back in the chat. I keep using the first name. You've changed your name, so I'm gonna <clears throat> I mean uh Mr. Adeyemi has come into the chat. <laughs> But now that uh, and just said, yeah, that he's a he's ahead of year. So, Mr. Adeyemi, you know exactly. I think you know what I'm talking about. Those uh, those morning emails that you get, and you just know, you just know that the rest of your day and how it's going to run, and how you're just going to be going from pillar to post, and you won't get, you will get a lot of things done, but nothing that you actually plan to get done prior. Yeah, but yeah, as I was saying, driving tired is a, is a mad one. I know what I don't know what you guys. <laughs> I don't know what you guys do to what what are your tactics to keep yourself awake when you drive tired? Um Albert saying this was him on Friday. You don't have to go into detail. Could you give us a a kind of a obviously no specifics, but what was the incident that happened on Friday? Because I am intrigued. Mine I can't I can't even tell you any specifics without it being completely it'll be too far because mine was purely safeguarding. It wasn't pastor, it wasn't like a fight or anything like that or a Fall out. Oh, he's calling in. Wonderful. Look at that. I like your style. Let's see if he's here. Albert. Hello, Khalil. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Long time. How are you doing? I'm all right, man. Yourself? I'm good, thank you. I'm good, thank you. It's been a while since I've been on your radio show. Tuned in. Yeah, no, appreciate it. No, don't worry. No offense. No offense taken. No offense <laughs> taken. I know you've uh, obviously avidly listened to every single one on Catch Up on Spotify. It's no problem. I know. ttradio.org forward slash listen back. It's no problem. Yeah. But yeah. Um, <laughs> no. So, <laughs> what was it? What happened on Friday? Obviously, you can't. Don't go into too much detail. But so it was, was just you know, it was just a follow up from the incident the day before. So it was. Uh, it started off as just verbal abuse between peers, you know, name calling, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then there was a, something that was mentioned about a PowerPoint that I knew that once we got access to that PowerPoint, it was just going to um, open up a can of worms, basically. Yeah. And then we got that access to the PowerPoint on Friday morning. And it was just, yeah, it just 
it, it wasn't good. <laughs> it was there was a lot there was a lot to di- there was a lot to dissect. I'm imagining. Yeah, exactly. So a, a PowerPoint. Is yeah. there a student? A st- someone a student had made a PowerPoint. Yeah, containing lots of inappropriate. Oh man. So it it, it wasn't it wasn't great. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I've never in all my years had to deal with an issue um, that involves a student who's made. Uh, insulting power and actually like a specific a powerpoint i've never that i've like social media texts tiktoks instas whatever i've never come across anyone that's actually gone out of their way to load up microsoft and uh, what animations and everything uh, I, I did i did actually <laughs> <PowerPoint> mode. <laughs> Imagine, yeah i didn't actually do powerpoint mode but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, do you know, yeah, I don't. Obviously, I'm, I'm making light of it because that's all you can do sometimes. But I do wonder if they went through. Like, it just seems like a lot of effort to make a PowerPoint. And obviously, I'm not going to ask any specifics about what was in the PowerPoint, but I can imagine. So you open that and you went right. Well, that's my day done now. So uh, yeah, yeah. So in it, so Friday I had three lessons. We got five period days, so I had three lessons, and then those, those two periods where I was supposedly free. Yeah, well, they weren't free. <laughs> What is what is free in the world of teaching, and especially in the world of pastoral? What is there is no free. Exactly, exactly. There is no. But no, it's all. It's all. <laughs> all right. Cheers, cheers, Khalil. No, thank you for Albert. No, I appreciate. That. Thanks for explaining. It's easier to explain it over the on voice than than text anyway. So I appreciate that. Yeah, thank no, you, man. Stay I, tuned. I thought, yeah. yeah. How do I leave? Cheers, this? man. <laughs> I can. I don't worry. I can sort you out. I think. Here you go. I'll disconnect. That should be you gone now. Thank you, Albert, for that. Yeah, it just rings true. Tom Rogers, welcome. We we're just talking about how, and before we bring Cameron on, we we're just talking about how in the world of pastoral, the world of safeguarding, you can just get one piece of information in the morning and know that all your plans have been dashed out the window because it's going to take a long time to to dissect. And Albert was talking about how someone's made a someone made a PowerPoint containing all kind of I imagine defamatory material. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Kids are getting that is very mature. That's a mature that's a mature way to in to like craft some insults or whatever you want to call it, or the defamatory slides. Like how are you making slides about someone? No, that that doesn't actually that just sounds so crazy to me. The fact that you're making so on slide one, I'm gonna talk about this, and on slide two, I'm gonna talk about this. Like that seems very crazy to me. Either way, and I think the last thing I want to just mention before we get on with the show and bring Cameron on, um, I think I tweeted a little bit about my little boy. So this is just for my own records when I listen back to my show. He's my little one's two, if you wanted to know. His birthday was back. Birthday's fairly recently. He's two now. And I'm trying to just keep him ahead of the game. And everyone keeps asking me, oh, how is he getting on? How is he getting on? I'm saying, I don't know. I don't know many two-year-olds. So people always like, I don't know how he seems to be doing okay. Um, but I've never had a two-year-old before. I have many two-year-olds. I don't really consciously try to make comparisons between what he can or can't do and what others can or can't do. I, I've got to go on record and say, of course, I've Googled milestones for two-year-olds or milestones for three-year-olds um, and then be like, oh, yeah, he can do that. Or, oh, no, he can't do that. And that's given me an indication, but we're just trying to keep him up, keep him ahead of the game. So I've been trying to teach him. <laughs> I say teach. trying to sh- Yeah, I'm going to say teach. Try to teach him heaps. Um, because he can speak, like he can mimic sounds quite accurately. So if he can mimic sounds, he might as well just apply those sounds to pictures. And then obviously that's how you learn that this sound relates to that picture. Same with colors, same with numbers, same with letters, same with shapes. So that's what we're trying to do. So he can say the shapes. He kind of gets it wrong every now and again, but he's doing very, very well. Doing very, very well. Right. 
I have rambled on for 18 pages front and back, and that is enough rambling from me. It's time to actually bring on uh, the main, my main actual guest for the show, uh, Mr. Cameron Mills. I know he's been in the studio for the whole time, just listening, just waiting, eager, eager to get on. Um, and Cameron's going to talk about, there was a blog post that he posted, I hate using that word twice, a blog post that was entitled The Black Teacher's Journey to Primary Education. Um, and it caught my eye for obvious reasons, as I'm also a black teacher and I'm also a male. Um, and I think the reason why it mainly caught my eye is because I've never taught primary and I have no desire to, t- I've got no desire to teach primary whatsoever. No disrespect to, to primary teachers. I don't know how you guys do it. Um, and let me use a better promo. I don't know how you people do it. I need to just get better on my gender neutral pronouns, collective gender neutral pronouns. Um, so Cameron, when you're ready, please press that call in button, bottom of the screen on the Podbean app, that gray phone icon, and I'll bring you into the studio to just talk about just what your own experience have been. I'll obviously throw my own, my own two pence as I would always do. And um, hopefully it's going to create a nice conversation for the listeners. Cameron, are you there? I am. Can you hear me? I can indeed, Cameron. Nice to okay. see, well, I was going to say nice to see you. Nice to hear from you. And thank you for joining me on on the Sunday lunch show today. Not a problem. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, man. Um, so what what we like to do whenever we've got a guest on the show, it's co- it's like common practice, best practice for you to just give a couple lines on your own, um, your kind of your connection to the education world, your background, how you got to where you are, without it being like a, obviously a a full a full synopsis, but just a summary of where you are at the moment and what your connection is with education, please. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you said, I'm a primary school teacher. Um, Currently, I'm a deputy head teacher. So I've been teaching for just over six years and just taken on the deputy post two weeks ago. Uh, So very, very new to I was assistant head before that for about two months. And then uh, we had some leadership changes and then I was appointed uh, deputy. Um, let, me throw, mate, let me throw some plaudits on there for you, Cameron, really quickly, mate. Just going to put some plaudits on there for you, well done. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank <laughs> you very much. And I'm going to tell you now, they awkwardly go on for too long. So let's just pause. Right, there we go. Go on. That <laughs> <laughs> That's the end. Go on. Uh, yeah, so I've mainly taught um, Key Stage 2 um, in the UK. Uh, prior to that, though, I was living in Thailand, where I also taught over there for about five, six years. Oh, wow. And that's kind of me in a nutshell. So, because obviously I've read, I've read the blog before this, and then the Thailand thing just caught my eye. First of all, why, how, why, yeah, why Thailand? And yeah, what, what kind of inspired you to to go to Thailand of all places was anything specific that drew you there or do you just fancy do you just do you know much about the country before you went I didn't know much about it so I just finished university thinking okay what am I going to do I want to do something I didn't really travel um, and do the whole gap year thing before going to university so I was looking to do that after I um, finished and I saw a program uh, that caught my eye out there um, called the Father Ray Foundation is the foundation that um, hosted me and so I went out there to do some work with them around um, teaching English, but also um, some work in the office, some work around promoting the organization internationally. Um, initially, I planned to be there for one year and then come back home and 
start a career uh, and whatnot. Uh, but I just fell in love with teaching out there and teaching English out there. So I completed my one year placement uh, with that organization. And then I moved to their sister organization further up north in the country. And that organization um, was supporting people with HIV. Um, so children and adults with HIV. So I went up there to go and do some work in their office um, in terms of international um, sponsorship and whatnot. And I also started to teach English um, over there as well. And then from there, it snowballed even further. I got invited to a local school and they asked if I could come and teach some English to their pupils. That was an all through school uh, in a very small village. They didn't have anyone that could speak English at all. And they wanted their children to be able to learn some English. They could, you know, um, go on to find employment in Bangkok and things like that in the uh, capital city uh, where there's a lot more tourists. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll come and teach some English. Fell in love with that. They offered me a full-time role to start an English department there. And I was there for that school five years. And yeah, we started a, an English department and I trained up some teachers who then took it on after me. Wowzers. Here's my question. When, how, where'd you start when you're trying to teach? Like, cause you had no teaching training. So then how do you, no. where, so you're in Thailand when you've got a class of I don't know how many kids in front of you. None of them can speak a word of English and you're then going to try and teach them English. Where? What is day one? It Hello? was extre extremely like... difficult at first. <laughs> Extre I'm not going to lie to you. It was very, very difficult. And um, I, I kind of Googled some things and then tried to you know, kind of put some lessons together. And in those early days, those lessons were not very good, to be honest with you. But then... I kind of just simplified it and went to very much basics, greetings, um, and then the names of objects, and then slowly putting those into okay, sentences. Yeah. So this is this is a book. I write in the book, things like that, that you can model out as you're teaching it. But what really helped, I just threw myself into learning Thai when I was there. So by the end of that okay. first year, I, I could speak Thai. By the end of the second year, I was I was oh, fluent. Wow. A lot of my conversations were just in Thai then. So I was able to translate back and forth between what I was saying. And that's when the students started to make the most progress, when I was able to translate things so they could understand it fully. So we're talking as in, I'm assuming you learnt it not through only conversation. You went to, you used like an online or some sort of platform where you actually learned. So I went Thai to, um, yeah, so there was, um, a Thai person who had a uh, language school um, in the city, so not in the village, in, in the city. So I would travel there and do some uh, language lessons with them. However, what I found is by the time I was living in the village, just being around people that were just speaking Thai every day and in the village, there's no one to talk to. If you can't speak um, Thai, you just weren't going to communicate. And so I was forced to learn the language. And just learning from locals, you pick it up very, very quickly. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, I've, I'm jealous. I'm very jealous. I don't know about you guys and the people in the chat. I'm very jealous of linguists. Anyone who's bilingual, trilingual, I don't, know, I don't even know if trilingual is even a thing. But anyone who's who can speak multiple languages is one of my biggest I'm envious of of those. So I'm envious of you. I'm also envious that you managed to do it just kind of very organically is a word I'd use on that. It was... You just went to Thailand and thought, well, 
where I need to just earn, I need to just learn this language just out because it should be because there, there, there is danger in that, though, in that <laughs> you learn a lot of slang words for saying things. Okay. And then sometimes you go to more formal situations and uh, you're using these slang terms and people are looking at like you like, why are you speaking like this? Um, oh, wow. So yeah, you don't necessarily know which words are appropriate in which situations. So yeah, there's definitely a, a downside to learning it that way. Yeah. So you were someone, I remember reading, I don't know how, what people were like in the people in the studio, whether you're the same. So you decided to, you want to become it. You decided, right, teaching is for me during your, t so you left uni and you still didn't want to become a teacher. And then it wasn't until you actually maybe started doing some teaching with English post uni. You're like, actually, you know what, this teaching malarkey is actually all right. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I, I just fell in love with it and yeah. watching the students make progress and then uh, being able to communicate with one another in English. And I thought, oh, this is actually, it's, it's quite fulfilling. It's, it's, it's meaningful. It, it felt meaningful. Mm. I no, like, I agree. Okay, I really want to do this full time. Yeah. People in the studio, when did you decide? When was your kind of watershed moment where you thought, you know what? Yeah, teaching is, teaching is for me. And again, I'm not saying this when we're not like this isn't like a bound to bound to life kind of profession. Although I know for some people it is, but when did you decide that you want to become a teacher? I don't, I feel like I don't meet many people, many adults, many current teachers who wanted to be a teacher from like secondary school. For me, it happened in uni, but then even then, it wasn't. I didn't know what else to do. I was going to do law, and I thought, nah, law sounds dead. Um, because I, I did, I did some, I did some work experience, and I was like, mm, "Nah, it's not for me." So then I was kind of stuck, and I didn't know what to do. And then Teach First came along, and I'd already previously worked with kids in a more informal setting, doing um, activity camps and that kind of stuff. And I thought, "Oh, that was always quite fun. Like kids are just funnier than adults, and they're more honest than adults." And I just preferred working with kids, and I. <laughs> I wanted to work with only adults and that's like a genuine thing and to this day I do prefer to kind of just work my, a lot of my roles is always to do with direct work with students as opposed to direct work with adults um, and that's always been something that's drawn me so yeah so for me it was uni probably about third year of uni that I decided yeah let me go try this teaching thing out and then from day one when I was in the classroom I was like yeah this is this is actually quite fun I enjoy this and of course the rewarding bit comes after when you actually start seeing kids make progress. So yeah, my question to people in the room is, when when was your moment? When was your moment for deciding, yeah, do you know what, working with kids is something that I want to do. I'm going to sacrifice the the low pay. I'm going to sacrifice the pay. I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to sacrifice the flexibility of holidays and being able to choose when I go away. And instead, I'm going to prioritize working with these young people and try to improve in their life chances. When was that moment for you? Um, Mr. Adeyemi, Mr. Albert said that he started coaching and running a local football club um, realized his passion for working with young people through sport. So that was in sixth form. So that's earlier than uni. So when he was about 17, 18, he liked working with young people through sport. And then that was, that was his moment. And Dale said, um, yeah, sixth form, year 12. Nice. Any inspiration, Dale? What was it about sixth form, year 12 that you're like, was it because you had a teacher that you wanted to, that you had a great relationship with and you thought, yeah, I like what that impact. I think sometimes, isn't it, Cameron? I feel like some people when one teacher has a really transformative impact on you, I couldn't say this happened to me, but I know for a lot of people, when one teacher had a transformative impact on them, then they're like, oh, do you know what? I, th I want to have that impact on someone else. Have you heard of anyone that's had that kind of, that kind of story, Cameron? You, you, definitely, um, you definitely hear about stories like that, especially in primary school. I think a lot of primary teachers can often tell you who their favorite primary school teacher 
was and why they made them fall in love with teaching. Um, I, I feel like I hear that a lot in, in primary school. For me, that wasn't the case. But um, mm. yeah, I definitely hear that a lot. Yeah, my I, I couldn't tell you the name of one of my primary school teachers. That's not, that's more, that says more about me than it does about my primary school because my memory for this kind of stuff is atrocious. My, like, my primary school, I remember my primary school being like it was a good primary school, but I couldn't remember. I couldn't, my brother is the opposite in terms of memory. He can reel off. He can say who his teacher was in reception, who his year one teacher was, year two, year three, year four, year five, year six. I couldn't tell you one. If I, if I had a gun to my head, I think I could maybe muscle, I could maybe get one name. I'd have to pull it from the back of my brain. Um, but I couldn't name, I couldn't name a single primary school teacher. So I think most people the... I speak to can remember their year six teacher, the kind of the last year, uh, normally because oh, that's mate. when they do residential and, and things like that. So they can normally name a year six teacher. Most people can't name anyone before that though. Question to people in the room. I can, I can name a primary school head teacher. Mr. Kent, I think his name was, <laughs> he says, but I could say any, Joe, you know I could say any name and you would have no idea. I could just say anyone. Um, <laughs> people in the room, could you name your primary school teachers? Could you, how many could you name? Because how many could you name, Cameron? Um, Miss Lawson, Miss Cunningham, Mr. Hughes. Oh, three. Well, it's better than, it's better than three, zero yeah. for me, boy. That's impressive. Miss Kato Stem says so she can name four. Prove it, Miss Kato Stem. Obviously, you have to prove it because you can just like it's not it's not a competition. I know Cameron said three, so you have to better him and say four. <laughs> Tom is saying zero. Mate, hold on, hold on, hold on. Miss, oh sugar. Prom mm, who's my prime? Who's my? Zero. I think right now Tom is genuinely zero, and I'm and I'm I'm quite ashamed. My memory for this kind of stuff is atrocious. Like I can tell you, I can. <laughs> Right, Tom Rogers is ripping me right now. So Tom Rogers said they spent all their days with you for years. I know, I know. I'm not, it's not a, I'm not trying to take them, I'm not trying to say they weren't impactful. It's more about my own memory for my life. I, my life memory is poor. My academic memory is good. Like I can remember dates that I learned in school. Couldn't tell you the teacher, but I can tell you the dates. I remember my secondary school teachers, but my primary, I feel like something happened where my 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 memory of primary school just isn't there um mr Adip, so albert said he can remember his year five and six teachers and deputy heads and head as well as a few other teachers miss kato stems just chucked some random names into the chat she's named she said she can name four and only named three so it's a bit awkward um miss davis miss kendall miss Roby, shout out to those three if they're listening um and then dale said he can remember two male primary teachers in year five and six still in touch with my year six teacher who's now deputy head. What else is? So yeah, it's just a little thing, but it is obviously, we know how important primary school is and that's why it's not something that's ever taken my fancy. Um, and that's only because the thought of being around, like year sevens are too immature for me. So I don't know how I'd, ha I don't know how I'd handle like year, key stage two. So year, that's what, year five, year six? So key stage two is year three to oh, wow. <laughs> That shows that shows my that shows my knowledge of this. Key, so key stage three is year three to year six. Yeah, it's not for me personally. So I've got the utmost respect for anyone that does primary because I personally couldn't. I don't know about you people in the room. I couldn't do it myself. I don't. I feel like I haven't. I don't know. It's just I. I don't know. Maybe year six if they're mature. Year sixes, but yes, yeah, it's, it's not for me. Either way, either way, either way, either way. That's a little side note. 
Um, Cameron said to me, he doesn't know how we've managed to speak about this for the hour and a half. I said, Cameron, don't you, I said, Cameron, don't you worry. Don't worry. I've got, I've got, <laughs> don't, don't you worry, mate. I've, I've, I can make this work. Don't worry about it. So let's talk about primary school. So what made you choose primary instead of secondary? So the majority of the children that I worked with in Thailand were um, primary age children. So the way their system works out there is an all through schools, not really an all through how we would see an all through school. So it starts with uh, nursery and goes up to about year eight, if we're thinking about equivalents. So and then they go off to a different high school. Um, So I'd only ever worked with children in that age range and so okay. I, I I knew that's what I wanted to do um, and I very much enjoyed teaching those who were around 10 and 11 more than any other group so that's kind of where I I placed myself afterwards yeah okay that makes sense that makes sense that makes sense um, yeah 10 11 like, like I said that's old that's year six if they're mature 10 11 I can usually deal with that they've still got I feel like they've still got that kind of like passion for learning for just learning for learning sake you don't yeah. get as much kind of like why am i learning this when do i need this what's the point like this is dead you don't really get that much in in year in year five and year six not until they get to about i don't know year nine year ten where they get a bit more mature like, when am i gonna need this all that kind of stuff like what's this There's about man? This is long. me though that i i kind of think <laughs> i would like to teach secondary at some point i would like to just even if for a year or something just to go and see and confirm that I made the right choice, kind of thing. Or, <laughs> or, that, or what? I, I need to see it. <laughs> that's the thing, though, isn't it? So when you obviously when you speak to primary school teachers, the thought of secondary just like fills them with <laughs> dread because they're like, no, 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 no. What deal with people that are like bigger than me and like old, like taller than me and and rude and obnoxious and whatever else? And they can they could like they I don't know that I know does fill some primary school teachers with a bit of dread and for me dealing with people asking to go to the toilet five times an hour like that would rock my brain like i just couldn't obviously i'm i'm completely watering down pun not intended completely um making primary school all kids about going to the toilet it's not but just their their problems in primary school their issues i don't have time for so like <laughs> do you remember in year but seven you know, every time we have um <laughs> secondary school teachers come and visit us yeah Especially, we have head teachers and um, SLT members that um, come and visit the school and whatnot, and they always comment that they're really surprised of how how mature the children are and yeah, and what they learn in primary schools. I think there's often a perception that the learning is significantly less than what it is, and I've got some teachers who are secondary school teachers, and uh, they always say to me, "Oh, when the year sevens come in and." You know, they get to the end of the page, the one they always use, get to the end of the page and they put their hand up, uh, what do I do now? Well, obviously turn over the page. Where in primary, we have none of that at all. I think the kids go to secondary and they just have you guys duped because we don't have any of that at all in primary. <laughs> there, is, there is a theory There is a theory for this. Well, I say theory, I, I hear this quite a lot. And the, I feel like they do, why would they? Maybe there is some truth in this. I, I Whenever year sevens have arrived and they're asking me silly, and they ask me silly things and they, 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 they claim not to have, they always claim like, they, that oh, I've never seen this before or no, no, I've never done that before. What are you talking about? What fractions? What are those? Because I teach maths and I'm like, what do you mean? What are fractions? They're like, yeah, we didn't, we didn't learn this. I said, no, 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 you definitely did. 
Um, so maybe they do. If they play, listen, if these year sevens are playing a game, they've played it absolutely impeccably because, <laughs> and also they come in, they come in, we all know, do you know those year seven, those year seven first days? So you, you obviously won't have these, but people in the room that are second school teachers, that first day when you have year seven and they come in, they're all kind of scared, whatever else. And they sit down in the, in their classrooms for the first few, like one week or two weeks. And they're just golden. They're absolutely golden. No issues. They just work in silence. If they need to work in silence, they've got all the manners, raising their hands. They're doing the right thing. And then as the year progresses, they get turned into these secondary school people who seem to forget. Like they, they just transform. They just transform because they arrive. They arrive just knowing what how to behave. And then I don't know what secondary school does. I don't know if it's because it's because they start having different teachers, which means they start having different standards. And then they start to realize, oh, oh, so hold on. So this teacher is all right with me, that wants me to work like this, but another teacher actually doesn't want me to. So what do I need? Do I just try and, I'm just going to try and get away with what I can get away with. Maybe school can be more fun and I can just bust a joke the whole time. So I do, I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but it happens in, I've seen every school I've worked in where first day with year seven, golden, first week, golden. Then it gets about October time and they start to transform and, I think, I'm just rationalizing my mind. I do think it's around inconsistencies. I think it is because they get different experiences. Maybe it's because they move around more between lessons. I don't know about that bit, but there's definitely a, there's definitely a, a change. And then um, Dale said, the relentless questions at the beginning of lessons after the honeymoon honeymoon period is staggering. So yeah, just, like, what, 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 what do I do? It's crazy. I think, I think part up, of what it is, is that they have, what um, oh, yeah, they have different teachers. Whereas for me, if I'm in the classroom with them all day, every day, they, they know they can't get away with certain things and the, the mm. rules remain the same no matter what lesson we're doing. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's a big part of it. I think that's a big part of it. Right, let's get on to the crux because that's just primary school in general. But I know obviously the main focus of your article, what well, article, your blog post was around race and also around your, your gender or sex, whichever way you want to kind of look at it. Um, being black and male in the, setting so when so your blog is about your own experiences and what you've kind of noticed whether it's kind of like obvious things or maybe maybe it's microaggressions or whatever else that you've noticed during your time so when you first so in your first role in primary school was this in a was your first primary school like was it diverse in terms of its own student cohort was it diverse in terms of staff cohort or were you one of the only black people in the school in your first, no, your so first I, was, I was the only black person um this was in my uh trainee year uh so the only black person and i think one of the first um stories that i told in the blog was how when i was on my teacher training a lot of the teachers and or my the classroom mentor and the school-based um mentor on my trainee year said to me oh we didn't expect you to be so good or, you know, the kind of things that would hint that they weren't expecting me to be able to teach for some reason. Uh. And it became very obvious very quickly what they, what they were meaning by that, that somehow they didn't think I was going to put in as much effort or as uh. much work or that I wouldn't be as good with the kids and um, especially when I did placements in the lower years, and I think there's this perception around black teachers, particularly black male teachers, that 
perhaps we're not suited to working with the younger children, that we actually were better with the older children and, um, and things like that. And so very quickly into my initial teacher training, I started to rock up against these kind of opinions. Yeah. So this is something that when, if you're obviously listening live or listening back um, and you've never been, if you're listening and you've never been the kind of the minority in a, in a professional space, it's very hard to, to even imagine what it's like. So obviously if, if you're um, in the, in this England, in London or whatever kind of place in England, it's likely that if you are, it's very likely that if you are white, then when you go to work, you are, likely to be the majority i'm just going to keep saying the word likely because who knows but that's very likely and then if that's always been your norm it is very difficult if you're listening now to try and even imagine what it's like to walk into a workplace and you look around and not a single like you're the only person of your own race like it's it happened it was when it happened to me i've never been the only in my my training year not my training in my first kind of years i went to school in, i worked in school in south london which was like majority black in terms of kids and then a good proportion, like we're talking like nearly half in terms of staff. So that was one thing. Then I went to Manchester and I was the only, there were like all the kids, I think 95, 96, 97% of the kids were white. And there was about two black teachers. And it was one of those things where um, as soon as I arrived, they, they immediately thought I already knew the other black teacher that was already at the school. Like I must've already known him. They're like, ah, oh, ah, oh, sir, sir, do you know, do you know this, sir? And I'm thinking, no, they're like, oh, oh, and I said, no, I, you say, who's that? And I'm like, oh, yeah, they said, Mr. So-and-so. And I said, no, I don't know who that is. And then when they point it out, I'd actually call them out on it. So I'd be saying to year sevens or year eights, so these kids, I'd be like, oh, I don't know him. And if you only assume this because I'm black. And then they would kind of look at me being like, and I'd laugh, but I'd also name it because they've obviously probably never, not obviously, they probably never had anyone interact as candidly with them. Maybe other people just laugh it off. So it is, it's such a, is a I feel like I don't know what your obviously what your background was in terms of where you went to school as a kid and growing up so I I feel like I got more used to being the clear minority in terms of ethnicity in in professional spaces because that was the same at school same at uni and that kind of stuff so was it then it was it is this being when you went to your first placement you said you're the only black you're the only black person so that means no black kids no black staff apart from yourself so there were some um black children Asian children okay. Uh, okay. But all the staff were were white, okay. and I recall raising it with my university lecturer, and being told, you know, don't say anything, don't rock the boat. You know, your placement's going quite well. You know, if you say something now, they might start to, you know, uh, downgrade your lessons. But at that point, because they weren't expecting my lessons to be good, so that when they were good, they were really surprised and then grading me outstanding, 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 and yeah. so. The advice that I received was not to say anything, not to do anything. And I just remember in that school feeling really excluded. So yeah. they had a policy in that school. Um, I didn't see it written down anywhere, but I'm told this is that was their policy. Um, that when I went into the staff room to go and have my lunch on the first day, um, a different teacher came over to me and said, oh, actually, we don't allow trainees in the staff room in case we're having discussions about uh, pupils and we trainees can't be involved in those discussions. You can use the classroom next door though. And it was just like, mm. wow, okay. But you know, you, you're a trainee, you wanna pass, you don't want any, any drama. So you just kind of keep quiet. Okay, fine, I'll move to the next classroom. But 
yeah, it was just very, very, a very weird place. And at that time, I didn't feel like I had the confidence to really, to call them out on it. Yeah, yeah. But I'm assuming when you went to that room next door, I'm hoping that all the trainees were there, right? So it was a small school and I was the only trainee. Okay. Oh, oh, wowzers. So it was just me okay. in the room. So, <laughs> do you know what? Do you know what? I shouldn't. Do you know what? I don't mean to laugh, but like, obviously, no, but looking back now, I, I can laugh at it now. Yeah. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the that is probably the worst. I'm not gonna be the person to be like, oh, they they. I'm not gonna say outright that I don't know. I wasn't there. That they only said that to you because you were the black member stuff. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, I'm like, hmm, it seems very like it just seems too. It's just one of those things you don't want it. It's one of, yeah, like they're already, we're all, he's already the only black guy in school, black teacher in the school. And he's only, he's the only trainee. So at least try and make it a little bit of, you would, what you would want, you would hope in humanity that they would try and do things to, to make you feel included rather than say, oh, sorry, no trainees, no trainees in here allowed. Um, Wowzers. Um, Miss Kato Stems asked a question and, oh, I think Miss, I think Ade, um, Albert has answered it. Miss Kato was asking, how long have you been teaching for? And then Albert's answered, Albert's been listening. You've been making notes, Albert. Albert's <laughs> been listening, saying six years in the UK and five to six years in Thailand. Is that correct, Cameron? It is, yeah. So it's about six years in the UK and six years in Thailand. Yeah, so 12 years altogether if you add them all together. Albert, well done. Uh, that, is, that, is a good, <laughs> that is a good, that is a good memory. Um, so yeah, so you're talking about your, your training year. Don't rock the boat. They said, what was it that you wanted? You were saying that you wanted to say something when you noticed you were the only, um, black staff member there. What, what was it that you wanted to say? Do you remember? Um, so it was when they told me in like informal meetings, oh, you know, um, you're really good. We weren't expecting you to be so good. It's like, it's really impressive. Um, mm. the way that you teach. And I remember wanting to say, why, why were you expecting me yeah. not to be? so good why 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 was that your your first impression was that you looked at me and you thought this one's not going to be very good and then when it turned yeah, out that yeah, your yeah. your perception uh or your preconceived notion wasn't fulfilled suddenly you're you're amazed and you're surprised and i think that uh, that's not unique for black teachers and the experience of especially black trainee teachers um you know, there's this expectation that we perhaps are not going to be as good as. Mm. It takes it takes a very, very confident trainee to call someone out on a potential unconscious bias. And yeah. I don't like, do you know what I mean? When you're already a small fish in a big pond, you just arrived and you can, your, 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 your unconscious bias spidey senses are tingling. It takes a very it will take a very confident trainee to be like, hold on. And I think the best way to do it is to just ask the questions rather than making any accusation. Just ask the question. Why is it? Just have just no, no offense intended, but why is it that you thought, why have I surpassed your expectations? And I think making that's the kind of instance where it's totally acceptable to make someone else feel uncomfortable because they've made an, they've made a judgment and we're just up, just asking a question as, as to why, and then see what comes out. And then it should, obviously, as, as we grow up and as we get more mature and we get more confident, as we know now, when these issues of kind of race and unconscious bias and microaggressions come up, they're, they're supposed to be a platform for a conversation. They're supposed to be a platform, hopefully, between two or more people who are willing to listen and willing to learn and willing to have their eyes open. And that's mutual, but obviously more, it's more prevalent in the case of normally kind of an ethnic minority talking to um, someone who's likely to be the ethnic majority in the school. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I hear you about 
you wanted to say something, but you're also new. So it would have, you're thinking, right, do I keep my mouth shut and just try to get on with it here and try not to you're, stir you're too much? You're also new and there's a power imbalance in that the person who's yeah, saying yeah. it or the two people who are saying it, the class teacher and the school mentor, are the ones who are going to grade you and decide whether you actually pass as a teacher. Mm. So you don't want to, you don't want to annoy them too much either. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a power dynamic um, yeah. so that you feel that you can't say something. I mean, now, obviously, I, I obviously would challenge it and whatnot. But I think sometimes when there's that power dynamic, it becomes very difficult to say something. Uh, no, definitely. Right. Plan of action, Cameron. What we're going to do, we need to take a little break. This break will last about six or seven minutes where we listen to the ads and listen from our sponsors. And I think the other side of the break, I want to talk about, because you you kind of alluded to this, the, you had some statistical backing for it as well, but around kind of when we talk about career progression and how it, yeah. statistically it seems, statistically it's saying that black staff, particularly black male staff, seem to be going down seem to progress into the pastoral route rather mm -hmm. than um, there's an there's like a discrepancy between going towards the pastoral route or going towards a kind of teaching and learning curriculum route and there's an there's like there are stats to say that but I'm just want to try and unpick after the break how much of that do we think is kind of systemic how much of that for someone like me I look at it and think hmm I actually wanted to go I actually I actually wanted to go into the pastoral mm -hmm. route so I don't count myself as someone who um, has been kind of like manoeuvred that way. But I know that that's not the experience of a lot of people. So what we'll do, we'll take a break and then that's food for thought on the other side of these. So you've got about five or six minutes listeners to, to go and do what you need to do. And I'll see you on the other side of, scroll down, other side of these. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development Every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. Stevewoods.co.uk for educational support in IT and computer science. Coming up, I'm delivering a number of courses. Learn to program in Python is a free one-hour course designed to start you on your way into Python coding. Everything works in a browser, so there's nothing to install beforehand. Join me remotely to learn the basics on Wednesday the 8th of June, 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Visit stevewoods.co.uk to start your journey. Are you a state school teacher in England? Why not be a hero this half-term and join me for two days and receive up to 1,360 pounds in bursary terms and conditions apply find out more at stevewoods.co.uk if you're listening to this then we know we share one thing in common a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves 
That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Shrewsbury woman has been awarded a British Empire Medal for her services to education in Uganda. A report in the Shropshire Star details how Margaret West travelled to the African country 20 years ago and the trip led to a link being formed with a village there. Mrs West co-founded the Margaret Junior School and a Friends of the School charity, which led to thousands of children receiving education. She travelled to Uganda on a voluntary service overseas placement and worked in a vocational rehabilitation centre. Through meeting young people at the centre and working with them and their families, a school was eventually built. The school today has 300 students, with many graduates having gone on to become nurses, mechanics, carpenters, as well as returning to volunteer at the school. Speaking about her award, Mrs West said, I was amazed. The school is just something that happened. I have enjoyed every moment of being involved. The Guardian reports on changes to, to rules which will allow teachers from any country in the world to work in schools in England if they have the equivalent credentials and at least one year's classroom experience. The change will come into force next year and will open up opportunities for teachers from countries beyond the 39 countries currently recognised. Until now, teachers from other countries not on the approved list had to retrain before teaching in English schools. Schools Minister Robin Walker said he wanted England to be the most attractive place in the world to be a teacher. Teachers from other countries will need to have completed teacher training of the same academic standard as in England, be proficient in English and have a university degree. Head teachers have said the move is a sign of the severe teacher shortages being experienced by schools and colleges, although anything which leads to improvement is to be welcomed. The local government website reports on figures for the number of pupils now eligible for free school meals. According to figures released today, the figure has risen again to nearly 2 million pupils. These figures show that 22.5% of pupils are eligible for free school meals, up from 20.8% in 2021. All regions in England have seen an increase in eligibility from the previous year, although the North East has the highest rate at 29.1% with the southeast having the lowest number at 17.6%. Some of the rise is being attributed to changes in benefit systems, but is likely also linked to the economic impact of the pandemic and the cost of living crisis. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello. We all buy a lot of stuff online. 
It's easier, more convenient, but finding the best price can be difficult. This week, let's talk about comparing prices and are reduced prices really a bargain? Without boring you with the law on price dropping, basically, shops have to have had a product on sale at a higher price for a substantial time in the past six months to allow them to claim a price drop. If you research this, you'll see a lot of hits on the 28-day rule. 28 consecutive days being considered a substantial amount of time. If you're shopping on site like Amazon, for instance, there's a website that'll show you the past sale prices of a product. It's called Camel Camel Camel. That's three camels with no spaces. You can even set up a free account to send you a notification when a price drops. If you're shopping elsewhere, there's lots of price comparison sites around to help you find the best price. A simple search for price comparison will give you a huge list. My advice is find one you understand and trust and start saving. Do you have a favourite price comparison website? Why not get in touch at the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed? Follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, and welcome back. This is the Sunday Lunch Show with me, Khalil Rouse on Teachers Talk Radio. We're into the second part of the show, the last stretch. Um, I'm joined by Cameron Mills. We've been talking about, so far, we had a lot of talk about kind of primary teaching in general, the differences between primary and secondary, just me, mainly me just talking nonsense and Cameron speaking very cogently and me just trying to make everyone laugh. Um, but then the second part, we've started to turn it to a conversation around race and Cameron's experience as being a black male teacher in the primary, in the primary context of primary setting. And we're going to continue that conversation now. I'm going to bring, I just realized I'll put Cameron on mute. So let me just make sure I unmute him. Um, there was some, in the kind of break, there were some comments in the chat. So Dale, when we were talking about um, when we have when the, when our spidey senses of microaggression um, or stereotypes go off, Dale was saying that he's used the question out of interest. Uh, what made you think that? And used that in his first placement school in London back in 2013, and he said that that was received with anxiety and stumbling to find words. And he went on to say that he never never did receive what he'd considered to be a satisfactory response, but it did make the person aware that he, they knew what. We were well that they knew what sorry that he knew what they were insinuating, and there were no further comments after that. And he was relieved to move on to his second place in school in Tower Hamlets, where he had such a great experience. And Cameron actually responded at the time, saying that yeah, the way to call it out is through questioning. And as he was as you were saying before, Cameron is all about. He was advised not to because he didn't want to was advised not to rock the boat because he was doing so well. So don't want to change that by by rocking the boat and asking too many questions. <laughs> We're going to move the conversation on to the second part of your blog, as I mentioned prior to the break, around progression and progression through the ranks in teaching up from being a kind of main scale teacher up to middle leadership, up to senior leadership. Um, and you were saying in the blog that there's... The, the low expectation that people can have of us just by looking at our, because of their own kind of either prejudices or again, microaggressions or stereotypes, whatever you want to call it, based on the color of our skin or the way we speak or the way we act can manifest itself in a different way as you go through your careers, often um, as being guided towards some, as we've seen pastoral middle leadership rather than more inverted commas, academic subject leadership or curriculum roles. And you point to some research. I don't know if people in the room have experienced this themselves, 
What was this? I haven't read the research, Cameron. I'm going to plead the. I'm going to plead the fifth on the research. What was the? What did the UCL's research talk about um, on so, this matter? Yeah. So it, it literally um, what what I was saying in the blog really. It, it shows that um, for black teachers, particularly black males, um, they're more likely to be steered, mentored towards pastoral roles um because of the perceptions that people have around black males and this idea that they're somehow more suited to dealing with behavioral issues or that they're more likely to understand people's behavioral issues because they themselves might have had those issues and and so it stems from that that level of prejudice that they they're steered into pastoral roles so um, i love because i'm just as i was in the break i was actually thinking what i'm just let me if i had to put my finger on what i think is the reason i didn't actually think of that the one that you mentioned just now about the perception that they might have had their own behavior issues growing up. So therefore they're more likely to be able to um, relate to the people, to the kids having behavioral issues. I didn't actually think of that one. I was thinking of, um, first that came to mind is we, we seemed on average, black males seem to have deeper voices. On average, black males seem to be able to, um, yeah, we deep voices, which inverted commas can be more, um, can, I don't. I don't know. Just when you talk to a kid, if you we know that if someone has a deep voice, you sound you end up being more intimidated by them because their voice yeah. is deeper. Um, or you've got the perception if you are if you are a black male, then people actually already by default are quite intimidated by you anyway. Um, and then you've got the situation like you were saying. I think it's all for me. Also, it's whenever when I arrived at the school in Manchester, the way the kids interacted with me was like they were always trying to impress me because they just assumed I was, they just thought I was quite cool. And that also comes to, that also kind of speaks to the fact that um, black culture, when it comes to either music or fashion or whatever you want to call it, or dance is made, is the cool thing. It's like, we're always, they are, oh, yeah, he's cool. He's the cool, the cool kids or the cool group or that kind of stuff. Like we're all laid back and we don't take things seriously. And that, that kind of, I think because of all those preconceptions, which like when I think about, if I'm going to be honest, there is an element of that to my own personality, but that's not, that's not for every black male in, in the country, nor the world. So obviously that's just a stereotype. Um, so I think that plays into as well. Anything else you think plays into why it's, why do you think black males are, so we've had low expectations. We've had maybe what I've said around our own personality or how we're perceived. Anything else that you think is why black males seem to be steered or people in the room, why do you think black males may be steered towards pastoral roles rather than academic curricular roles? Anything else? So I think I think that's the the core of it, really. So it comes down to, um, as you were saying, there's the low expectation. There's this expectation that perhaps you maybe are not able to handle the rigors of a subject leadership, especially core curriculum subject. Um, those concerns. This is just me thinking off the top of my head. Now this isn't documented research, um, but. For instance, things like Ofsted deep dives into subjects, who they want to be in front of the inspector. I think all of that kind of plays into it. Um, and yeah, I think all of those kind of play into the narrative. Yeah, and it's a very difficult thing to even, for, 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 like, for like a head teacher to even admit. They wouldn't even, with, do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's one of those things where when you're the group that's affected by it, you know, half in the back of your mind, you're like, there's no, what, how can I even convince this person that they actually have this perception of me in a way that is still respectful, but
but at the same time is open and honest and frank enough for them to actually take this seriously. And it is like it's difficult to navigate. Um, it it's is, difficult. I mean, I it's difficult to navigate. One of the um, when I first went for um, a math leadership, um, middle leadership role, um, I remember the head teacher saying to me, "Oh, actually, I think you'd be better off, um, you know, um, working in pastoral." Um, I mean, your behaviour management with the kids. I mean, yes, I have good behaviour management, but that's not because I'm a black male. It's just because I have good behaviour management, but constantly being steered toward that pastoral rather than the academic. Mm. Yeah, no, I hear that. And then the implications also, are... I think Go it, on. It, it's because people have a... They, they devalue pastoral and what mm. pastoral is. And this idea that somehow pastoral is less rigorous is, is, is for the birds, really. It's, it's nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, anyone who works in pastoral <laughs> understands there's, there's a lot of rigour when it comes to the safeguarding elements of pastoral. That is, is yeah. not something that's easy. I don't think I've ever heard the phrase for the birds in my life. Is that, <laughs> really? Never, is that a bird? I've never, I don't think I've heard it. I've never heard for the birds, as in like we're taking like, like it's like rubbish, you throw it on the floor. Yeah, exactly. Mad, I've never heard that. That's a new one. I'm going to use that. Um, <laughs> I've, never, I've never heard that phrase before. Um, and then that's and the implications are then because I'm speaking from kind of direct experience. The implications are then that I don't know about a lot of obviously I've only worked in three schools essentially. But when you do look at who's deputies or vi- whatever you want to call them, deputy principals, vice principal, deputy, as you want to call them, I feel like often the deputy is the person that has oversight of curriculum and or teaching and learning in my own experience. But I don't know if I'm, I don't know if everyone's experience is the same, but I feel like that's the case. So then if that's the role reserved for the person who's got the curriculum or involved in teaching and learning, then obviously you go down the the hierarchy and then you've got your APs. Often you can have your APs who have got the pastoral yeah. or the SENCO or whatever else, or the DSL, blah, blah, blah. But then obviously what we're saying is, well, if you're if we, if 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 the if the black males are stood towards pastoral and pastoral leadership stops at assistant principal, well then you're never going to be a deputy unless you unless you go into the curriculum. It, well, well, in exactly some what, schools, what the you research know. shows um, at the moment that there are very few black head teachers. Um, there's a multitude of reasons for that, but one of the reasons is that because black teachers females as well, but predominantly males, are steered toward pastoral roles. Um, There's a limit to where you can progress to next, especially those who are seeking to go to headship level. For Mm. a lot of head teachers, the expectation is that you have curriculum leadership knowledge uh, behind you before you're ready to move into a headship role. And so because we're steering certain people into... um, areas that are not curriculum based then actually what you've done is you've you've put a ceiling on how far they can go and you you've ensured really that they can't make it into headship or it's going to be very difficult for them to get to headship mm, mm. no it's, I, well no it's yeah it's, it is it is true and i know i've got a couple um, i don't know if we've got any i know albert's ahead of year um, just to speak back to him, Albert, and if you are still kind of actively listening with your phone in hand, and everything else. So I know some people obviously have it in the background to have our kind of tones as they get on with their, whatever they want to do in the house. I wonder if Albert, did you feel like you were, I'm just going to put you on the spot here. Do you feel like you were steered at any point or do you feel like, cause, or do you feel like you've had the autonomy and actually just decided, no, 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 pastoral is for me. Cause as far as I'm concerned, I always wanted to go into pastoral. Like I was saying at the beginning, 
I just preferred to work with, I prefer to work directly with kids than to spend a lot of my time kind of like line managing or guiding or um, dealing with adults. And that's just my own preference. I prefer to work directly trying to build either whether it's, a, whether it's a, their confidence, whether it's their cultural capital, whether it's their their behavior, whether it's whatever. I just pref- I feel like that's where I am actually most effective. And I think it's, a, it's, a, it's a vitally important role. And I think we need to look yeah. at um, headship and what it requires to mm. be a head teacher, what knowledge you have to, to come with, because I'm not sure why we have this, this narrow kind of understanding of what it takes to be a head teacher, because if you're going to be an effective head teacher, you're going to build uh, a staffing structure around you. So that even if you didn't come from a curriculum, um, a curriculum subject, actually you can build a staffing structure of people who have that knowledge. Yeah, yeah. So we, we need to open up the routes into headship so that it's available for all members of the profession, irrespective of their roots into it. Mm, no, definitely. And you're right. I was going to, I was about to say that it's, it's clearly fine for someone to become a head who's not had pastoral experience, but at the moment, the trend is that it's not really acceptable for someone to be a head if you've not had curriculum experience. So then that's people therefore saying, which I, well, people would, people would argue and I, I get the argument. They'll say, well, the most important thing um, that some people argue, well, the curriculum and teaching and learning is the most important thing. But then other people are like, um, um, no, safeguarding is the most important. <laughs> like, sure. if we, do you know what I mean? If you actually weigh these things up, would you rather, if you want, if you went to two schools, one with an amazing curriculum, amazing teaching and learning, but safeguarding problems were rife throughout the whole school. Or you can go to a school where kids feel safe and there aren't any, well, I'm not saying no safeguarding concerns. I mean, in terms of peer-on-peer stuff in the school, but the curriculum and the teaching and learning needs some work. I know where I would rather work. And I know which school I would say is doing better at the fundamentals. And as far I'm, I am biased, I'm a DSL, like I'm very biased. But at the same time, whenever you do those prioritization tasks in your interviews and you've got a safeguard and you've got a safeguarding concern in there, if you don't say that you deal with that first, then they're going to look at you like you don't know what you're doing. So clearly there people recognize that safeguarding and or safeguarding, keeping kids safe is a number one, but at the same time, it doesn't seem to be a prerequisite to going into into headship if that is your specialism. Well, I think um, even if you look at um, Ofsted reports, so if you look at the safeguarding element, all it will say is pretty much one sentence, safeguarding at this school is effective or it's mm. not effective, is ineffective. Um, and then the rest of the report focuses on the quality of education predominantly. And then you'll have the quality of leadership at the school yeah, yeah. but safeguarding is only normally one sentence in it is, isn't it? Yeah. Is it effective or ineffective and that's it's it and so because the majority of your report is going to be what's the quality of the education like they're expecting now head teachers to to be all over that side of mm. of offset inspections and how the school runs and things like that yeah there is a shift though in well i've not had i've not been offsetted for a very long time but i've spoken to people that have been offsetted and there has become a a shift in talking because of everything that in the in the last few years when every when mental health and peer on peer abuse and everything came has come to the fore even though it's been it's been present pardon me it's been present for well ever since but there has been a shift in offset approach from what i'm hearing where they are trying to talk to kids directly yes about what they learn but also about how they interact and maybe no, there's no, been absolutely. a bit of a, so we so had offset in um a few weeks ago um 
say that was an interesting experience. Obviously, I can't discuss um, yeah, of course. the report at the moment because it's just it's in draft form at the moment. Um, but yeah, they, they did you know talk to the kids about uh, what their learning was, what they'd learned prior. Um, and then in the midst of those questions, they would throw in some safeguarding questions to the kids mm. and also with the, with the adults. So it was definitely higher up on the radar, but in the report, it will only ever be that one sentence. It's either effective yeah. or it's ineffective. That's it. Indeed. Indeed. Albert responded to my question. My question to Albert earlier was whether he felt as though he was steered, or whether he had the autonomy. And he said, no, no, not at all. So he wasn't steered at all. He chose... He said he's always been interested in behaviour, mentoring, supporting students from disadvantaged backgrounds, etc. And I remember he remembers some heads of year from. He, I remember some heads of year from secondary school loved the role and the relationship they built with us. Yeah, indeed. Um, and I think I'm similar in that sense. Um, so then, was your decision to go? So in your, so your decision to go down the curriculum route was a deliberate. Was it was a deliberate one to say, you know what? No, you're trying to steer me here, but I know that if I want to progress that I need to show my quality in this aspect. Therefore, I'm going to go for that. Or did you just think you'd do better in the role of curriculum and a curriculum-based role? What was your rationale? Um, it's probably, it's, it's a bit of stubbornness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when, when they tried to tell me that, oh, you know, you're, you're so good at behaviour and, and that kind of thing. And my specialism uh, when I trained to be a primary teacher was primary education with mathematics. And so I thought, hold on, no, 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 this is what I've trained for. Why, why are you trying to stop me from, from pursuing this? And so I just became very stubborn and I just said, I, I'm not doing it. In the end, I ended up leaving that school to go and mm. find a school that would support me in um, being a math lead. Uh, but yeah, it was stubbornness. And I was also not as much as I am now, but I was also aware of some of the barriers um, that would come up later on if I did choose to pursue a purely pastoral role? Mm. Yeah, yeah, they do exist. And I'm in a, like I said, I'm in a pretty much a, a purely, I still teach, but I'm in a, what I'd call a purely pastoral role. And I love it. But at the same time, I do, I do look and think, right, what's the, what, if anything is the next step, where do I go? If I want, if I want to progress in terms of title, everywhere else, where do I go next? So what do, do you I feel do? like Am there I... isn't an option for you? Oh, I'm going to plead the fifth on this one, just because it's very. I'll, I'll be I'll be talking about my specific. I'd have to talk. It'll be me speaking specifically about my current um, mm -hmm. setup. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna plead no, the fifth on that one. <laughs> but, but we might we, we might we might we if we continue the conversation off air, um, <laughs> we're more than happy to have a discussion about my own news and everything else. But yeah, for now I'm gonna plead the fifth on that one. Um, just because this is immortalized on every platform, no, no, no. <laughs> on, every, on, on, every, on every platform. So I want to make sure that I think through, you just want to make sure you think through what you want to say before, because I'm very like off the cuff in terms of what I want to say. And I'm very, I'll just go with the flow. So I don't want to just flow down a stream that's got a, a waterfall at the end and let me fall off it. I don't want to, I don't, don't want to, if I go down that metaphor, I don't want to go down that route. Okay. Um, do you know what? That story about, People, obviously not everyone that might be listening has read the blog, but there was a story in the blog towards the end about the um, your interaction with parents. And you talk about how you use... How, I know exactly <laughs> which one you're going to say. Like, please just, please, for, just for the listeners, just, I read the story. I, I couldn't help but laugh. It's a, it is absolutely 
when was the idea when just say when this was roughly in terms of year and then this also five years ago okay um, so i'm guessing you talk about the one where i was running yes please yeah <laughs> so I'll, I'll briefly retell <laughs> retell the story so um was, i was in year six teaching in year six and i had a student who had different social emotional needs um and so one of the things that we came up with together, me and this student, is every morning we would uh, go and run around the playground. So it's something we're going to do together, run around the playground, relieve any stress, um, whatnot. You know, didn't really think too much of it. Just put my trainers on, let's just go for a run. Um, and it was right at the start of the day. So as some parents are still coming in, dropping their, dropping their kids off and whatnot. And... I had my, my phone just kept going off as I was running. I was thinking, what's going on? Like, who, who can be trying to contact me? Anyway, um, I answered the phone when I was running with the shark. And I just, I, I said, hello. And I recognized it was the school's um, telephone number. Uh, hello, like thinking something's happened in the classroom or something, something's, gone, something's gone down. And um, the receptionist said, oh, I just want to confirm, it is you out there running on the playground, isn't it? I said, Yes, it, it, it's, it's me running, you know, this is what we do every morning. Um, I said, okay, we'll speak to you when you come back in. So finished the run, went back inside. The TA had the class for a bit. I went to reception and said, you know, what, what's, what's happened? What's the matter? And it told me they've had several complaints or several phone calls from um, concerned parents because they've reported that a big black man is chasing a child around the playground and the child looks terrified it's it's, it's even now when i read down the story it's so ridiculous and the child looks terrified so so okay <laughs> the thing is, the thing is I, throughout this, I don't know if you can hear me, but as soon as you started telling this story, I was bussing up. Like, I, was, I, I knew where it was going because I know the story. I've got tears in my eyes because I just can't, I can't even, it's so, so ridiculous. It, it's beyond ridiculous. And Khalil, I, I am small. Yeah? I wasn't blessed with being a, a tall or buff or anything like that. I am small and skinny. Yeah, that, that, that's me in a nutshell. So a big black man, I think five foot ten. Who, who's this big black man? I don't know who, who, you, who you're referring to here. So anyway, they, they, they phoned and they, they wanted to check on the welfare of the child and whatnot. And this is oh my God. pretty much an all white school. Yeah. Um, and so the receptionist told them, no, it's, it's a teacher and whatever. And I, I was like, I'm still going to run every morning. I'm not going to stop. I, at first, I was like, I'm not going to engage with these parents. This is ridiculous. I'm not saying nothing. I'm just going to do what I'm doing. Um, so every morning, we got running. And for about two weeks straight, there were phone calls. Different parents were phoning in. And the receptionist knew, like, when the phone rang at a certain time, that's the time I was outside. And she already knew what the phone call was going to be. Oh, my God. And afterwards because she explained to them no he's a teacher he's just running with the students some of the parents afterwards did after they dropped their child off come over and say hello or you could see them kind of waiting at the side and they kind of wave at me and, and whatnot to try and get my attention and by the time i spoke to them explained what i was doing actually they 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 opened up and they said oh you know it's a really good idea you know we should have more kids doing it blah 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 um 
and then they wanted their children to know if we come in slightly early can can their children come and run they think it's going to be such a good idea now these were the same parents who a moment ago mm. thought there's a big black man chasing a child around the playground and now suddenly they want their child to be out running and doing exercise with the black teacher mm. but probably because they don't they... yeah go on sorry no, I was going to say, probably because they, they just assume you're probably good at long distance running as well. Uh, well, this Cameron. is it. All, all, all the stereotypes <laughs> came out. Um, but it hadn't dawned on any of those parents that I might be a teacher that, you know, yeah. I, I, I wasn't dressed in you know PE clothes. I was dressed in clothes I would wear to teaching, so trousers and a shirt. All I would do is change into uh, trainers and then run. So, oh, you were dressed in you were dressed in your work clothes. Dressed in work clothes. So, oh my word! Trousers and a shirt. In primary, we don't really do tie and, and jacket and all that. Uh, so just trousers and a shirt, and my trainers on, and that to them typified the image of a scary black male chasing a child around the playground. They couldn't even Crazy. see beyond, you know, what I was wearing. It's just the fact yeah. that. This is a black man and there's a child, a white child there. I, I suspect it would have been different if it was a black child. Yeah, yeah. But because that, it was that, a white that, child. <clears throat> probably when father and father and son going for a run. Well, um, no doubt. <clears throat> that's yeah, what would have been. We, when I retell that story, I mean, even now, I look back and laugh. And in the end, to be fair, I did have more children come and join and we started a daily running thing uh, in the morning. So it turned out positive in the end. And I did get to speak to some more parents and and have actually quite successful relationships with them but mm. that initial um thought that they had was just this this person must be doing something wrong yeah yeah crazy miss K yeah we had a lot of um a lot of laughter in the chat but miss and miss kato stem said i can see the humor in it but the story actually makes her really sad I, it is no, no, it's no, one of those things that if you don't if you don't do you know what i mean if you don't laugh you're going to cry about it um because it is the fact that they found they their instinct said or their their judgment or whatever you want to call it um said that it was more likely that there was a random a random man chasing a child that was more likely than a black teacher just running with a student that like that it was more it was more like their instinct was whoa no 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 there's well, there's no chance that he's a teacher so he must just be some random random man who's broken into school and then well, started no, yeah, chasing exactly. a child. And literally broken in because um I had the key to open up the gate to the playground. So I had to unlock the padlocked gate. Yeah. So unless I had broken through the lock to chase a child around the play, it, it's, it's so ridiculous. But no, all of those rational thoughts that you think one would have, they all seem to go out the window when they see a black person who they've already got preconceived ideas about. Yeah, definitely. Any, any kind of rationality goes out of the window. Indeed. It's uh, yeah, and I know when you when we're towards the end, I know you're mentioning how like it may have been the first time um that they've seen a black man in there. Well, I don't know I don't know what, what area obviously don't be too don't have to be too specific. What area was this roughly? This so Coventry. Coventry. So, so that's uh, from my th yeah, this the, this is my own stereotype. I've been in I've been to Coventry in the past and I've well and I've been to Coventry Uni on like a, a day trip, whatever you want to call it. But I'm going to assume, and then correct me if I'm wrong, that Coventry is less diverse than Birmingham, for example. Significantly less diverse, okay. and it has it has pockets of areas which are um, 
more diverse, but there's, there's certainly pockets where it's very much uh, white communities. Yeah. So then you may, for some of them, obviously this is no excuse, but you may have been, the as you were saying, you may have been the first black black man that they've spoken to maybe in their in their lives potentially like you, you for some of them it would have been definitely within yeah. a school context a hundred percent for all of those parents yeah. um yeah hundred percent crazy 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 i know you ended the you ended the blog just being trying to encourage um more black males to become teachers especially primary schools I, i'd love some of the stats i don't know how many black males there are in prime i don't feel like i meet many so I, d- I don't know the exact stats so yeah. males in general there's 15 percent of primary school teachers are males so 85 percent female so there's a, yeah. a, a quite a big imbalance anyway um if we strip that down to black males it's going to be in a very small minority less than, so I don't have yeah my instinct my instinct is telling me less my instinct is telling me less than one percent but i don't know that i'm yeah, just that, that would, i'm that, basing I, think, yeah. I didn't want to quote it because i haven't got the um, yeah, of course. the numbers in front of me but i believe it's under one percent mm. miss k stems asked a question she said cameron do you ever feel that you have to work harder than your white counterparts in order to prove that you are worthy of having the role you hold in your school 100 percent, 100 percent. so when i took on um math lead i knew you know i this this subject cannot drop in any way like i i 100 knew that i have to work my socks off otherwise i don't necessarily say necessarily in my school i think my school is quite a good school we're quite a diverse school but just in general um i think that if you are from a diverse background and you're leading a core curriculum subject there's less room for error mm. and people will be less forgiving of any errors that you make because they started with a preconceived notion that you might not be able to do this or you might not be the right um, fit for this role. Anything you do that is um, a mistake or a slight error or something went a little bit wrong, instantly that confirms their bias. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I definitely had to work harder and I I had to sit down and really plan out what is going to be my route into senior leadership. Mm. And I had to really think about it. Whereas when I speak, I do, I'm doing a master's at the moment and there's a lot of um, head teachers on my course. And when I speak to them, they kind of just ended up there. So okay. they, they, they didn't plan this thing out. Whereas I, I feel that for a lot of people from diverse backgrounds, you have to really think about and really make strategic decisions about how you're going to get there. It's not just going to happen for you as it would for some people. Yeah, no, I understood. Um, <clears throat> I don't think I'm a, I don't think I'm allowed, Albert, I've seen your post. If there's an Albert's per post in there, he's called it a quick plug. I think I'm not actually like, I don't know how sponsorship works. I'm not actually allowed to promote um, specifically but what I will say is have a look in the chat. If you are a black male educator, there's a there's a link in there. And if you want to, any other information, if you just look, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. I'm trying to play, I'm trying to make sure that I don't get, do something wrong in in contravention to our, to our T's and C's when it comes to, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't know if I'm right or wrong here, but I just know, I know obviously we've got our sponsors and because you're an organization in and of yourself, 
I don't know where I stand on being able to do promotions for for organisations. I don't want to I don't want to make a mistake and then have a and then you know I don't want to make a mistake because obviously I'm representing the the station. But either way, there is a message in the chat that I am fully bought into anyway. And Miss Kettlestem said, yeah, much much less room for error. Even in small things like being late, in my opinion, there's much less grace given to me, so that's given to her than others. And I think it's one of it's, this whole thing is like, if you're listening to us speak about what we perceive and you're not black, you hear it and you think, sure, like I can only imagine that someone would hear this and think, nah, surely not. Like this, it's not inverted commas, like it's all in your head kind of thing. And it's, and it's very hard to, explain to someone who's never actually who could never they'll never don't you'll never understand if you've never been in a space where you are the ethnic minority if you're not a black person and i don't care if you've got um black friends or whatever else like if you're not a black person you won't you just won't you just won't understand it and that's fine like that's okay it's okay not to understand the thing that's not okay is to diminish and to like try to palm off and say no 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 i'm sure i'm sure it's nothing i think I'm, it'll be fine it's all in your head like that's obviously not okay um but if you don't understand, that's cool. Just listen and accept and then try not to be part of the problem. Try to be at least an ally or challenge where you do see anything or hear of anything that is um, is wrong or, or racist or whatever you want to call it. Like, it, call it what it is, do you know what I mean? Or as a stereotype or anything else. That's my kind of, that's my ending kind of notion at all. For anyone that is listening back to the show, um, if you are black, then obviously you may identify with a lot of what we're speaking about. If you're not black, then cool. Thank you for listening as well. Like it wasn't a show just for black people um, today, <laughs> but I think it's it's a conversation that needs to be out there because the more people are open, the more people start to challenge their own unconscious biases and start to challenge their own because we've all got stereotypes. Like I have stereotypes about different people, and I'm I'm not going to just list them, but I have them. I'm, I'm aware of them, and I have to challenge myself. I can have stereotypes about different races, including my own. Um, and I have to just always make sure I challenge whether it's based on their age or how they look. And you have to challenge yourself because we grow up with prejudices. We grow up with unconscious biases. That is human nature. Unfortunately, we're influenced by our experiences. And then we make our brain just makes judgments on similar experiences if they look the same. Like I've been here before or whatever else. So I've seen this before. And I think um, the way we make small steps is we need to keep having conversations. The more conversations we have with people, especially the younger generations, the more open they are about all these kind of things and the more the more we put it front and centre, then hopefully they'll grow up being more, there'll be a whole bunch more allies than we've got in the generations above us, essentially, where we don't have that many allies. Um, is my closing remarks. Do you have any closing remarks, Cameron? <laughs> uh, no, I, I 100% agree. I think that we are a generation that are going to change things. I think it can't remain as it is. I think as more of us begin to progress and take um, our career paths into those senior leadership um, levels and roles, I think that black students will see that and it will, it will stop them from feeling that there's only so far that they can go. I've had a lot of students in my school um, just come and congratulate me in my year six class um, on, on my role and just, oh, sir, that's brilliant. That is, sir, I'm so happy for you, sir. I can't believe you're the deputy. Like, and they haven't seen it before and they're seeing it for the first time. And I think we are going to be a generation of trailblazers that are going to change the system. Mm, I agree. Here, 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 here. That's, 
the nice way to end. And for everyone that did contribute, if you've just joined, Frederick, you just joined. We're, this is the end of the show. If you want to listen back, you head to ttradio.org forward slash listen back or you follow us on twitter at tt radio 2022 you can follow me specifically on twitter at khalil underscore r91 or you could follow cameron on twitter at crew so k-r-u underscore cam um and then you can interact with all of us but thank you for everyone for your contributions thank you for albert obviously for calling in earlier miss kato stem dale everyone that kind of contributed or listened live whether it's through podbean or other any other platform We'll hopefully be back, well, I'll be back maybe next week, I think, for another installment of the Sunday Lunch Show. And we're going to wrap it up there. And thank you very much for listening. And, and Cameron, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on and hope to keep in touch and speak to you soon. Indeed. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.